You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and this time we are going to look at one of the early films of Christopher Nolan. We are going to be looking at the 20th anniversary of Memento. Can you believe it? 20 years. This is just amazing that we're forgetting all this stuff of 20 years worth of other things that have gone on. It's just going backwards, it almost feels like. And it's just, it was an amazing movie. It was groundbreaking in a lot of ways, and it should be a lot of fun to talk about it. We've got a great group to talk all about it. And this man himself, who is constantly taking his notes so he remembers things, it's Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! How are you, sir? Who are you? Look on the card. It's right in front of you. Where am I? What are we doing? That's a, that's what we've been saying for over 10 years on the show, so it's okay. I, uh, yeah, well, um, you know, my memory might be getting bad these days, but uh, I will be hard-pressed to not forget this film. This is, uh, this is a big film, um, uh, opened my eyes in a lot of ways, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it later. It's a film that the Polaroid company still says thank you to. You know, it's just like, because they were already at the time starting to feel the pinch because people, phones at the time were just starting to get cameras into them and so they were you know regular film cameras at you know this is what 2000 2001 era and it was you know before the still it's hard to say that's the before the beginning of the digital age kind of sort of so it's it's just kind of interesting that he was in the movie walking around with a, a polaroid the whole time taking pictures of everything so it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what you guys thought about this movie. Did you guys see it when it was first in the theaters or catch it later? We definitely would love to hear everything you guys have to say about this. Definitely, you know, it's always great to be able to talk to our fans, talk to our guests, and talk to you guys at home. It's great and you could actually be more in touch with us you know there's we have different outlets we have a great facebook group for the eso network please check it out we definitely would love to have you part of us and you know we also have you know instagram we have twitter we're you know up on pinterest even as eso network definitely try to find us we definitely would love to be able to get and communicate with you guys we've got you know some great things going on on social media and if not just write us like we said we also would love to have you guys take part in you know our patreon uh, we have a great patreon where we put you know exclusive episodes of different shows of these shows that we have earth station one earth station who and the dragon con report go to up there 48 hours before they go out to the rest of the world so you get a little bit of a preview so you don't have to even flashback to be able to listen to this over again so you know so you could be knowledgeable about us before the rest of the world it's pretty cool and for as little as 25 cents a week you could become a patron too. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. 
Also, let's not us forget our friends at Tifosi Optics. That's right. Tifosi Optical is a great, great sponsor of the Earth Station One podcast. Want to thank them. Hopefully you guys ordered from them, got some pretty cool sunglasses during their specials on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And I know they're going to be doing specials throughout December where you can get really cool sunglasses. You can get gamer glasses. You can get the the Blu-ray glasses where he blocks the Blu-rays from the monitors and TVs. So it helps out quite a bit. You also have sport glasses and also, of course, you have face shields for first responders. So it's pretty darn awesome what Tifosi does. All you have to do is go to tifosioptics.com. You put in ESO network into the coupon code and you get 10% off your whole order. Not too shabby there, folks. It helps, you know, Helps you save some money and helps, you know, show Tifosi Optics that you guys are listening on the ESO network and Earth Station One. So it's pretty cool. And now we're here with songstress, actor, and all around great person, Shannon Wilson. Welcome to Earth Station One. Well, that's nice of you. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome to the station, Shannon. We appreciate it. Um, For those people who may not be familiar with some of your work, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh. That's like such an open-ended question. (laughs) It is, really. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> jump right into myself. Um, I, I grew up in Texas. I now live outside of uh, Philadelphia and I do a lot of different things. I'm pretty resourceful, but my latest venture that I've been doing for a few years is, um, is acting. <laughs> is that something you sound like you sort of stumbled into that? Is that something that uh, you have been just only recently pursuing? I, well, it sounds like it's recent. It sounds like it's not recent, but in these terms, it kind of is. I, the last five, five and a half years, I've been going into New York and auditioning and working towards building a reel and a resume. And just in the last year, year and a half, of, I've been getting on some good projects. So, huh. yeah, it was kind of late, late in life type of thing. That's awesome, though. Um, uh, and, and now, of course, you know, has it been particularly challenging uh, this year in particular? Yes, in so many ways for all of us, right? I mean, I think I think I want to cry every <laughs> today. I was like, I'm just really depressed. But then I realized everybody else is just as depressed, so you can't wallow in that. Um, but yeah, it's been hard. When I in March, things were really starting to pick up. I was getting some great auditions and um, shooting some a couple of good projects, and then everything was shut down. And uh, now they're all starting to pick back up again. But yeah, it was it is it is a strange time and. Luckily, people that are in television and film are are starting to work again. And, you know, I feel bad for the theater actors and musicians that can't tour. I I don't even know. It's hard for them right now. Yeah, I, I looking at your IMDb page, I noticed that one of the things that uh, you guest starred in was uh, one a show that I like a lot, which is Elementary. Yes. Was that uh, how? What was that experience like? Well, that was my that was one of my first. Bookings. I mean, I did a hack years ago on CBS. I, I used to model for, I modeled for a long time and I booked a little part on a TV show with David Morris a long time ago on CBS. So I had been on a television set on a set before, um, but I'd been on a lot of auditions in the last few years and I hadn't booked anything that was like for television. So when I got elementary, I was very excited because I love Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah. Uh, a- did you, did you work with both of them? Yes. I, yes. I worked with both of them and I was in season four. I just had two words. I didn't want to mess them up. And I had to, I had to sit or stand in this tiny little broom closet, which they had built 
So you have, you have the set and then off to the side was this little closet that we were supposed to walk out of. I walked out first and then Johnny Lee Miller was supposed to walk out behind me. I was playing a female mercenary and I was in a closet with him and I was sweating because I was nervous because I was standing with him like nose to nose practically. And I didn't want to mess up my two lines and Lucy Lou is on the outs, you know, the other side of the door. It's a lot of pressure. And I did actually tell him, I said, I, I, I'm like, my armpits are really sweating. And he just was like, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so it, mostly television, mostly film. Is it something that uh, is, do you prefer one over the other? Um, well, I, I did, I had a, there's a film that came out on September 29th called Snow Babies, S-N-O Babies. You can get on an Amazon on Fandango. It's about, um, a hair, my daughter's a heroin, um, addict. I play the mother of a 16 year old honor student heroin addict. And that was my first feature film. So, um, that was an independent film and ended up getting bought. Now it's being distributed. So between film and then television, and then I'm working on a Netflix show right now with Ewan McGregor called Halston. So they're all very different. Um, I don't really like one over the other. I'm happy to just work. That yeah. was a long answer. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's okay. That's fine. This is your time. So um, <laughs> I, I also see that you have a producer credit here, associate producer. What was that like? Getting- well, that's, there, that's, called, that's the obscured. And I'd love to, the woman who is the filmmaker and the director and the writer, I just like all of her. I like her posts. I like what she's about. She just seems really positive. So I reached out to her to see if they needed any more help. And she's like, we do. So then I kind of got a part of that project and I liked the storyline. So that was my first time producing or helping in, in that way. And that that's kind of cool to help out a fellow filmmaker. Did, did you, did you like, yeah. Did you like being behind the scenes a little bit more as much or more than acting or? Um, I, I'm not, I don't really have to do much for the obscured. <laughs> that's, that's the great part about being a freezer sometimes is you just help in different ways. Um, but I think being behind the, I, I've actually never really, I don't think if I've been behind the camera. I don't think I have, but I wouldn't mind it. I mean, I love the crew. I always love hanging out with the crew and so impressed with everything that crew people do. It's just, they know exactly what they're doing. They have their jobs and it just make your job so much easier. Well, it looks like you've been on, like I said, a, a, like a series of shorts um, that are listed on the IMDb. So, and those are typically very small crews. So I would imagine that you would get to know sort of what goes on behind the scenes just by being there, right? Yes. Yeah. And I ask a lot of questions too. And I always try to pay attention to what they're doing because it's mm-hmm. just so, uh, what's the word? It's just the, so specific, you mm-hmm. know, the lighting guys. I, I'm especially fascinated by lighting. I just think that's so great how they can see a room and then know how to light that and set design. So I find now when I watch shows, I'm constantly watching everything around it, not just the acting, but <laughs> the, 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 the costumes. I mean, I guess everybody does, but I notice different cuts where I'm like to my husband, I say, they, they did that all in one take. But I was confused by, did you see the movie 1917? I did. Yeah, that film, I was just, it was driving me. I thought, how do they do this all in one take? And then when I researched it, I saw it was edited together. Right. That was amazing that they did that. Yeah, yeah, it was really, and you, you, after a while, you don't even think about it. You no. Know, you just sort of, you, know, you get caught up in the characters that you don't even really, you're not looking for the cut, right? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> um, uh, that, yeah, that's a spectacular movie. Um, and uh, do you have, now, do you have a history of, like, light, loving film or any training in that way? 
I, I have taken classes. I took classes in LA. I was out in LA for, for a few years doing a lot of um, print work and I did some commercials and I took classes in New York. So yeah, I have, I'm not a trained actor. I haven't done theater really. I haven't um, studied acting as I probably should. Um, But watching films growing up, my dad was a huge movie buff and my mom for that matter, but just the old movies and Montgomery Clift and just watching old Clint Eastwood and Monty Python. My dad had me watch all of the Mel Brooks movies and all of that. So, you know, it's just, yeah, film's always been very important to us and my family. You have been well-trained. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm training my own children. They're 15 and 13. Believe me, they've seen everything except Blazing Saddles. That one's a tricky one. Give them another year or so and then they'll be ready for it. I'm I'm like, my brother and I are really, my brother is really, um, a Mel Brooks fan too. And we were having a conversation about Blazing Saddles and we're like, they have to get the jokes because they don't, it's such a different time now. It is. But, but, but they're making fun of everybody. Mel Brooks is, that's what's the funny part is Richard Pryor wrote it. Um, well, maybe just explain right? it to them. You know, this is how I explained because my son's 21. And so, and the way I explained it to him, they use a lot of bad language and stuff that's very offensive to people, but they're making fun of everybody. They're not just going after one group. They're going to make fun fun of, you know, African-American people. They're going to make fun of Jewish people, Italian people, Spanish, especially the Irish, especially the Irish. (laughs) (laughs) They're the lowest of the low. (laughs) She says that she takes a drink. Uh. <laughs> well, well, they also they also go after the, they go after gay people. They go after you know straights. They go after you know, old people. They go after you know. Well, that's humor. That's 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 how you know a lot of comedians have a dark side, right? They're, they've had a lot of trauma and tragedy in their lives, and you find humor to make up for that. So I think that's where a lot of comedy comes from, and good comedy comes from drama. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I agree yeah. completely. And and yeah, and like we were saying, when you said Python, I was like, Yeah, they're they're ones that just there was no target that they couldn't hit, that they didn't want to hit, right? Like they would just make fun of everybody and everything. I just uh, love I love the British humor with death, you know, how Monty Python can just make fun of dying and death and plague. Right. And I just saw John Cleese on an interview recently and he was still t- making jokes about his mother, like, you know, stuffing her. And putting her in a corner when she dies, like taxiderm mm. her. I mean, it just everything's just you know so morbid and hilarious. Yeah, there's uh, two of the members are no longer with us, and yet they still make fun of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> As they would expect. So, uh, so the new, the most recent one that you've done that's released now is Snow Babies, right? Right. And that, uh, and is that a big part? Is that how is that available now? That people can yeah, that's a big. That. I, that was a big part for me. Um, that's on Fandango now. You can get it on Amazon. It has ninety nine percent with audience reviews. Wow. The critics were a little iffy on it, but I don't re- read the critics too much sometimes because <laughs> I didn't agree with them. And a lot of stuff they like, I can't stand. Um, but the ninety nine percent audience reviews we do listen to, and um, you know, we took a lot of time with the film. The writer and the director really researched and talked to teen addicts, and really wanted to portray in a true way the epidemic problem the heroin problem in our suburbs and so me playing my playing the mother of of a a girl who's 16 and battling heroin I don't know it just a hard-working mom my husband's hard-working so it was a really hard film to do Um, yeah that sounds like a hard character to try to get in their head yeah and leave behind right 
it was hard to leave. There was one scene that I, I listened to Chris Cornell. We were talking to um, Mike and I about uh, Seattle. I was listening to Chris Cornell to get into that mindset because I really didn't want to go to that dark place. But for me, I kind of had to. And I didn't want to be disrespectful to mothers who have actually experienced this. So you just don't want to be a caricature. You don't want to. Uh, it, it was just really important to get it right with something that personal. Yeah, that sounds really intense. So that's that's Snow Babies, S N O Babies, mm-hmm. right? And uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we'll have a link to that in our show notes, definitely. And uh, uh, Mike, I, I think she's ready. If she's experienced that, it's sort of intensity. I think she can handle the geek seat. Well, before <laughs> before we start the geek seat, though, I do like to hear some about some of her singing and some of the music you've written. And I first must say my manager, Georgianne at CPM Talent, is the reason why I get a lot of these roles, because she believed in me, but I had nothing on my resume, and she gets me auditions. So there just had to throw that out there. There you go. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, singing, yeah, I, I mean, I, rec- I play guitar, I play piano, and I have songs on Spotify that I've recorded, and I have a little fan base, which I always enjoy, and um, it's just another way for me to be creative and uh, kind of express emotion (laughs) what kind of you know like who's who's your influences musically i love storytellers so emmylou harris is a huge one lucinda williams um neil young dolly parton is a big one sure so anybody yeah anybody that can that can tell a story and kind of take you away that's i mean that's eddie better's great at that and um so it's kind of got a country rock feel uh, I mean, I wrote a song about the Great Dust Bowl across the plains. So just talking about, because my family's from Oklahoma. So I just try to tell a story and um, it's it's nice when people uh, like it. No, cool. sounds perfect. Makes sense. No, it's, and is that, can someone find that easily online, that stuff? Yeah. Um, the, if you, uh, if you do Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-A-N Wilson on Spotify, my songs come up. And Excellent. then they're on my website at shannonwilson.com. And pretty much if you just Google Shannon Wilson, I'm, A is not very common. So all my stuff pops up. That's awesome. That is really awesome. All right. We've been just Thanks. buttering you up with this, actually. We've been just trying to get you ready for the Geek Seat <laughs> question. So, Shannon, are you ready for your first question in the Geek Seat? Oh, my gosh. I hope so. What was your favorite Geek Out moment? Oh, um. Probably when I, uh, like, geek out moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Johnny Depp. I mean, I hung out with Johnny Depp and Hunter S. Thompson one time, and I tried to act cool. Wow. <laughs> and I ended up doing that acting cool because I ended up leaving with the two of them and hanging out with them all night long, just the two of them. So I, I did geek out at first, and then I calmed it and reeled it in. That is awesome. Was it was Johnny was doing research for the movie, or? That's exactly right. Oh, that's awesome. I was in Aspen. I was at Don Johnson's house on the 4th of July. And I was at this party and then Hunter S. Thompson happened to be there and Johnny Depp was studying him for fear and loathing. So then I, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of name dropping in a small set. Wow. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think that's a new record for the show. I think yeah. we had the most, most name dropping in like 30 seconds that we've ever had. On the that's pretty awesome. It's surreal to me too. 
Kevin Costner was there. I can keep going. Glenn Fry, Cheech Marin. I mean, all these random people were there. But I, but the most important person was Hunter S. Thompson, whose books books I was reading at the time. Mm. Um, so it was pretty cool. Oh, that is. And he's he's exactly as you would assume him to be. He's he was not. He was just crazy and but nice and fun. He had bullets and ammunition all the way to his ceiling in his house and. We had to go out and shoot guns. And I mean, just everything you would think would be about him is exactly what kind of a guy he was. Ooh, totally makes sense to me. Yeah. What was your most disappointing geek out moment, though? How many names could you drop on that one? <laughs> oh, Ethan Hawke. I ran into Ethan Hawke in an elevator and I totally geeked out because I was wearing a Dunkin' Donuts shirt because I was doing a promotion for Dunkin Donuts and I walked into the elevator as he was walking out because he thought he was on the ground floor but I was on the 10th floor I had had an interview it's a long convoluted story basically we banged into one another and when I looked up and saw I was Ethan Hawke I said oh my god you're Ethan Hawke and he's like yeah so then I had to get on the elevator with him when I was wearing a Dunkin Donuts outfit and he said, how's your day? How's your day? And I said, it's good. I had a, I had an interview and he goes, how did it go? And I said, I don't know. I gave them donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, I'm sure it went well then. And I just like scurried out of the elevator. It was so embarrassing. And then now when he watches that uh, series that you're going to have on Netflix, he'll, Austin, yeah, yeah. he'll probably be going, Hey, that's the Dunkin' Donuts lady. Girl, <laughs> Passed, brought donuts to an interview at a Dunkin' Donuts outfit. Exactly. Hey, bringing donuts helps. Hey, it does. <laughs> Makes people remember you. That's what I told Ethan. That's true. What geeks you out the most? Um, what geeks me out the most? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty geeky about Mandalorian. Um, that's pretty cool. And geeks me out the most. I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, what geeks you out the most? This is my, your segment. This isn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hearing good live music always geeks me out. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. A good, a good, um, like jam yeah. solo when you're live. I miss that. Mm-hmm. Like, because we were, I lived in Colorado at Red Rocks, and when they when you're just like feeling it, mm-hmm. oh, God, feeling yeah. The, the, yeah, that that that's 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 a good one. Thank you for making me think of that because that does geek me out. Like just hearing really good music that makes. I saw you two when they did the Joshua Tree tour sure. uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I was Quite just crying. I was just, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no, two years oh, ago. Oh, when they when they, the oh, when they did the anniversary oh, okay. tour. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought- and I was standing there on the floor. We got floor seats, and I was just crying. Just you know, just just feeling all the emotions that I felt since you know, oh, sure. nineteen eighty ever. Being at music festivals and seeing some of your favorite bands, or discovering new bands and stuff. Yeah, like that. that geeks me out. Yeah. What turns your geek off, though? Which my what? What turns your geek off? Oh, uh, really bad manners. I don't like people that, you know, at the grocery store that hit you with their shopping cart and don't say they're sorry. Or I live in New Jersey, so a lot of things happen sometimes that really annoy me because I'm from Texas. (laughs) In New Jersey, you just have to worry about who you say that to and, you know, if you're going to be sleeping with the fish or something. (laughs) Exactly. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? What fiction character? Fictional. Fictional character would I like to meet the I'd like to meet, um, can I say Bugs Bunny? Because he's really funny. Sure. <laughs> this is, like we say, this is your time. 
You know, <laughs> this is what you want. This is, you know, it, it could be anyone. If you said Hunter S. Thompson, that would have been, you know, yeah. you know, cause it could have been Johnny Depp from that movie or, you know, it could, <laughs> but that's awesome. Bugs is great. Yeah. Just someone with that kind of personality is hilarious. No. He just happens to be a bug. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be a rabbit, but he's a wise <laughs> guy. <laughs> Let, let's, let's look at the flip side of that though. What fictional character would you not like to meet? Um, what fictional character would I not like to meet? Um, I don't know. These are hard questions. I should have looked at these questions. Too late now. No, not for the faint of heart. Not for the faint of heart. We've had people crying in this seat before, so it's okay. Really? See, as soon as as I start thinking about it, then I'm going to come up with a million things. I don't know. I can't think of anything right now. That's okay. It's okay. You're not the sure. you're not the first. It's okay. <laughs> what is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? My favorite geek word, quote, or pose? Yeah. Or phrase. Uh, yeah. Phrase. Uh, laughter. Is it what is it? Not laughter is the best medicine. It's a mel. Um, it's a. Uh, laughter is the best kind of medicine. Yeah, something like that. I always, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what my grandfather used to say. It's true. Mm-hmm. There's always something funny will always make you feel better. Yeah, you have to find that. Mm-hmm. That's very true, especially in this day and age. You know, mm-hmm. 2020, the worst decade of my life. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, and I keep getting worse stories from people. I'm still, I'm still on the fictional character I don't want to meet, by the way. That's okay. <laughs> She's still spending half her brain. Okay. What kind of geek occupation would you want to do if you had a choice? A librarian. I've always wanted to be a librarian. Really? That's awesome. I mean, no, that's good. Yeah, I just no. We, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's always that's always something that I always think that's kind of that would be sort of quiet and peaceful, and you organize stuff. Mm-hmm. You're around books. No, we have friends of ours who are librarians. It's an awesome job, actually, mm-hmm. and everything. And, you know, you think of the old card catalogs and the whole thing. They just now are like with their little computers or their tablets. Oh, yeah, yeah it's right here. <laughs> See, I would want to go into the I would want to go into the card cabinets and find the card and find the book. I think there was something to that. We're dating ourselves right there. You know that. Yep. We are. Yes. Yep. Kids who are listening to the care. show are <laughs> like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> what was the What was the method called? It was a. Uh, it was. A, it even had a name. Oh, yeah. The uh, Dewey Decimal System, right? Uh, Dewey Decimal. That's right. <laughs> Mike Gordon, you win the award tonight for that one. For yes, the Dewey Decimal System. That is awesome. All right, Shannon, what geek occupation would you not like to do? I would not want to. I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to be an oncologist or something. I wouldn't want to be like, really? God bless those. People. I, 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 oh, you know what else I'd want to do as a funeral director. I think that'd be cool. Um, but I think for people are just dying <laughs> somebody to that's, meet you, you know? Yeah, I know. Exactly. And then at this, at the flip side, I say, I wouldn't want to be an oncologist, but I, w- I think that would be hard. I think that would be something that I wouldn't want to, um, think that I would take that home. I wouldn't be able to emotionally detach from that. No, totally understand that. Special person. Mm-hmm. Oh, to, to any kind of, you know, any doctor to be able to have to, you know, put, take your, 
go home after a day like that and just, you know, yeah, have to try to. They're angels. Oh, yeah. Very much. Yeah. They're special people. Yeah. yeah especially true. this mm-hmm. year. Healthcare workers, oh, man. Gotcha. They, got they, it. They, you, you can't praise them enough. Nope. Oh, my God. And they're so brave. I mean, they're just everything. I just have so much respect for them. And we all do. I mean, I know that there's not anybody that doesn't have any. We always had respect for police officers and uh, different uh, levels, but just the healthcare workers are just beyond at this point. Yeah. No, totally. Frontline workers, they get mm-hmm. every, all our respect completely. Yep. That's one of the things I was thankful for during Thanksgiving, actually. <laughs> oh, I would not want to meet Jaws. Ah, uh, which, oh, the shark, wait, the, wait, shark wait, the, the, the shark, or the shark, or the James Bond villain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, mean, <laughs> I can meet him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Shannon, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Yes. This is for everything. This is the whole marbles. This is for the game. All right. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Oh, God. Um, to my ultimate, oh, my ultimate geek fantasy would be to a backup singer and dancer for Tina Turner. Oh, nice. that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> You know, no, no just totally to, cool. Or backup singer to anyone like that, you know, that'd be all. That'd be, the, I would love the it. The energy for her in concert is just amazing. She's good in concert. Oh, yeah. That, that is right. awesome. Well, Shannon, I got some great news for you. You Tina Turner is a geek seat. Congratulations. <laughs> no, not not that great. No. <laughs> Thank you. She's in Germany, I think, but thanks for bringing her all the way over here. Just to see you. She'll come to us right from <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon, what does the young lady want? She has won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $20.14. Amazing. Thank you. I love the 14 cents. Well, the 14 cents is always good, but, you know, this is station money, so it it doesn't really count anyway. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Well, it's been great having you on the show. Um, once again, let's uh, let's promote your stuff. Where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Instagram at I am Shannon Wilson, uh, shannonwilson.com. That has my music um, and the stuff that I'm up to. And Facebook, uh, Facebook's Shannon Wilson. So it's pretty much just my name. <laughs> Nothing exciting. <laughs> and that's, and that's uh, S-H-A-N-N-N-A-N, right? Yep, two A's. Yep, yep. yep two A's. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's 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 the difference, folks. That's how she stands out in the crowd. <laughs> that's true. That's right. That is awesome. Awesome. Well, we will definitely have links to those in our show notes. Thank you. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back in a moment with Memento. Michelle here with an Iconic Rock talk show moment. Last week, the nominees for the 2021 Grammys were announced. Uh, We're getting into award show season. The show will be January 31st on CBS with Trevor Noah hosting. And one of the things you notice first about this list is it's women are really shining. Um, The Grammys have gotten a lot of criticism, a lot of blowback for not recognizing women on the same level as men, and it looks like they've listened, something the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has yet to do. Um, 
But checking it out, Beyonce has nine nominations, uh, bringing her all-time total to 79. Taylor Swift has six, five of them for her Folklore album. Brittany Howard has five, this is awesome, for her first solo album called Jamie. Um, other leading nominees inc- include Dua Lipa, uh, Roddy Rich. they each have six. Baby, Justin Bieber, Phoebe Bridgers, Billie Eilish, Megan Thee Stallion, and David Frost. They all have four. Um, BTS has made history. They're the first K-pop group to break into a major category with their nomination for Best Pop Duo Group Performance for Dynamite. Um, and very notable is the fact that the Best Rock Performance category is all female. Haim, Brittany Howard, Grace Potter, Phoebe Bridgers, Fiona Apple, and Big Thief. Um, there was a quote that got out last year. Someone said, how can we nominate women for rock when there are no women in rock? Um, they caught a lot of flack and they have responded. Um, but this being the Grammys, there is some controversy. Uh, the killers were snubbed. And the weekend was completely shut out after putting out that After Hours album, which was just a tremendous success critically and commercially. Um, the single Bl- uh, Blinding Lights was 40 weeks in the Billboard Top 10, and he got nothing. Um, there's a theory. Some industry watchers are saying part of it is due to the fact that he was signing to play the Super Bowl halftime show and the Grammys, and they're a week apart, and, I don't know, CBS might be upset that he's going on twice. It just doesn't make any sense, but um, there's been some hints that uh, that was what was behind it, and I guess he's negotiated that he will, in fact, perform at both, but they think that's what uh, got him in the nominations. We'll see. Um, Award shows, there's always something that goes wrong. Um, this has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Check out the blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. To learn more about the Grammy nominations, go to grammy.com, and we will catch you next time. Forgive the interruption. Hi, I'm Mike. Hi, I'm Kylan. Hi, I'm Eric. And we are Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mighty Marvel Geeks is your award-winning show about all things Marvel, with news, rumors, commentary, and interviews covering movies, comics, and all points in between. We'll also have our recommendations on what to pick up each week on New Comic Book Day, as well as a weekly pick from New Marvel Unlimited. Find us online at MightyMarvelGeeks.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcast that's mighty marvel geeks and remember we are roots awake where am i some anonymous motel room i guess i've already told you about my condition oh well only every time i see you it's my memory amnesia No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just... Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. I've told you this before, haven't I? What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. Dying. My wife deserves vengeance. Doesn't make any difference whether I know about it. Just because there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless.
You really want to get this guy, don't you? I killed my wife. He took away my fucking memory. Something doesn't feel right. I think someone's fucking with me, trying to get me to kill the wrong guy. not safe for you to hang around here anymore. Why not? Because the cop's looking for you. You're gonna pay for what you did. Who did this to you? What? Who did this to you? You did. Trust yourself. Trust your own judgment. You can question everything. You can never know anything for sure. You know, I've had more rewarding friendships than this one. Although, I do get to keep telling the same jokes. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we're here to talk about the Christopher Nolan classic. Can you believe it's the 20th anniversary of Memento? I cannot believe it's been two decades since since this movie came out. Um, who are you? My name's Teddy. It's on the card. Come on, look <laughs> at it. 15 minutes, I'll introduce the well, segment again. It'll be fun. We, uh, <laughs> we, we have two people who are definitely memorable uh, joining us. Our movie crew, Ashley is back with us. Hello. And Alex. To be completely fair and truthful, um, before Mike sent the notes as to what we were doing, I had forgotten that we were doing Memento. And unfortunately, no, that's not a joke. <laughs> no, Alex actually wrote me and said, "Damn, I'm glad I'm you so told glad me you that. Said that. I, I forgot. forgot what we were doing." Um, I had to ask Faber a couple times in the last couple of weeks what we were doing. So, it's amazing. This ha- I saw this 20 years ago and impressed me. I can relate more to it now. <laughs> uh, you know, the uh the affliction that Leonard has, um, you know, seemed like a, a work of fiction 20 years ago. Now it seems like it's definitely, it's I'm heading to that civility. reality. <laughs> um, it's been 20 years, but Alex, do we have a box office report? We actually Memento? do. And it's kind of weird. Um, not, 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 not strange. In, in the, um, I don't know how to, how to call this one. Um, it made a domestic box office of, million dollars an international box office of 14.2 um giving it roughly a a 39.7 million dollar box office overall so that's 40 million dollars that it grossed which doesn't sound like much chris nolan did this movie on four million dollars uh you know when i was watching this and we can talk about it later but um you know we were watching this i was thinking man you could really do this movie on the yeah like it it's it's only got like a few set pieces a very small cast and yet what a powerful movie it is you know at least i think so um uh yeah and it blows my mind that you know 20 years ago nobody knew who christopher nolan was uh when memento opened it was only released in 11 theaters (laughs) like it was like that's how you know that would never happen I, again. To I beg to differ. <laughs> I Except, beg to differ. Tenet I was going to say, out, did it happen? Tenet this came year? out this year, and there were only 11, <laughs> 11 theaters open. So. <laughs> yeah, he's going back to no. twenty years ago. Um, 
Yeah. And uh, I I saw this in the theater 20 years ago and it blew my mind. And I've been a Christopher Nolan fan ever since. I think I've seen just about everything else he's done on the big screen, which made me sad this year because I haven't seen uh, Tenet yet. So, um, but uh, now what's your history with it? Ashley, did you see this uh, right away or had you seen this before? So I watched this movie for the first time about five years ago. I think my husband is a huge Christopher Nolan fan. So we decided to go back and watch through his filmography together. And this one has definitely stood out as one of my favorite Christopher Nolan films, even though it's one of his first. It was one of those movies that after my husband and I finished watching it, we just kind of like stared at the screen for a while. It's like, whoa, that is a lot to take in. I, if I were to recommend this movie to somebody, I would say you absolutely have to watch it twice. You have to watch it once just to take it in and see what's going on and then watch it the second time so you can start to piece it part, apart and understand it. I think it's just such a brilliant concept to show this movie, to tell the story out of order. And there's so many ways this movie could have gone wrong, could have been a garbled mess could have been impossible to understand, but Christopher Nolan does it just right. And I think it's a fascinating puzzle to watch as a viewer. And I would love to learn more what his writing process was like, if he wrote it out of order, if he wrote it in order and then chopped it up. But I think it, even though it's, again, one of his earliest, I think it stands out as one of his best and just a very fascinating psychological thriller. It's uh, it's based on a short story by his brother, uh, Jonathan and um uh who's done quite well for himself as well uh these days and uh i i would like to read the original story just to see what if that you know literally literally is the same uh format as what chris does uh during the in the film um alex did you see this in the theater right so, away or? um tally and i had, were were just dating at that time it actually came out in march of 2001 um, but it was shown at Sundance in September of 2000. So yes, it's the 20th anniversary, but we didn't get the film release uh, until the very next year. Um, we went to a movie theater for a showing of American Outlaws starring um, uh, 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 Farrell, um, Colin Farrell. And I'm like, it's, it's not Will. Uh, no. Uh, so we, we went to see that, and it was the, the that's the story of the, the James Younger gang. And um, we, we got to the theater with our release, with our form. And the guy was like, Yeah, you know, this was yesterday, right? And I look at the card, and sure enough, we've, we've shown up on the wrong day. And we're literally sitting there going, Well, we've come to the movie theater. We might as well see something. Two people were walking out of Memento. And they heard me say that. And the guy just looks at me and goes, go see Memento. It'll change your life. And we're like, all right, we'll go check out Memento. Don't know anything about it. Went in blind as a bat for that film. And it blew us away. And I'll never forget, we were headed, we were in the parking lot talking about how amazing the film was. And we get to the car and the two people who parked next to us got out and go, wonder what we're going to go see. And I was like, go see Memento. It'll change your life. So yeah, no, I saw it in theaters, <laughs> but I had no idea what I was getting into. Wow. Yeah, it is. Uh, it does that initial viewing, even watching it 20 years later, knowing what's going to happen. I'm still watching it play out and amazed by it. Uh, Mike, what about you? Did you see this one right away? Yeah. I saw it when I was living out in Seattle. It was, 
word of mouth and people, a couple of friends of mine had gone to see it. And so myself and a couple other friends went to see it because we had heard, you know, amazing things about it. And it was playing for the Seattle Film Festival at the time. And so we went to go see it and they actually had Christopher Nolan come out and talk about it afterwards. And it was so worth it to go see that we were just all blown away by the film. The mix of psychological thriller and then also noir and use of color in black and white just differentiated scenes was so amazing. And the performance of Guy Pierce was just awesome. He's done many things since. I don't think he's ever reached this level as this movie in a lot of the different yeah. movies he's done. And it had Joey Pants from The Sopranos, which was, you know, <laughs> which was just even better. And it was just, it was, it was great. It was a great movie. It, there's just, there hasn't been anything like this to this point. And that you, each time you see it, you see something different. Each time you go, wait a minute, this happened this way, or it happened here, here, or here, and go, oh, that's why, you know, and it is just so well done. You're trying to second guess yourself the whole time. I love movies that sort of present a different structure instead of just ABC, you know. Um, I think you know, shortly before well, around, you know, before this movie came out, I think the one that was really popular that played around with it was Pulp Fiction, you know, playing scenes out of order. And then you have to sort of use your, you know, brain to piece them together. But it really requires, uh, it really requires work from the audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to work when you watch this movie. You can't just sit back and this is not a, what we call a quote unquote popcorn flick, right? Or just a sit back and chill flick. This is like something that you have to engage in. Um, because you're constantly going, what is happening? What order does this go in? When is this happening? Um, and once you get the gimmick, depending on you know when you get it, the fact you know that fact that the the color sequences are going backward, um, the the black and white sequences are going forward. But when does the black and white see? When does that sequence take place? And man, it's just I mean your your brain's buzzing, but you're also riveted to the characters on the screen too or the it's, scenes where it became it was started in black and white and then slowly switched to color yeah. towards the end and it yeah. was just like it was just like whoa and so you know you're trying to then figure picture we like we sat in the parking lot afterwards trying to figure out okay so the final scene technically of the movie is when he kills you know joey pants at the very end, you know, at the very beginning of the movie. Yep. Yeah. The, the final and, scene is the movie is the first scene of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And the, there is no innocent person in this movie at all. No. And everything. So it's just, it's amazing that's, to see. That's, that's what makes it very noir. It's very neo-noir. Uh, you know, it's not uh, classic noir, but uh, um, yeah, this one, and I appreciate it now especially since lately over the last few years, I've really been getting into film noir and, and this movie just is perfect. I mean, uh, what a few weeks ago, Mike, we were reviewing a movie where a dead man narrates it, mm -hmm. which 
can't really make sense, narratively speaking. And yet, you know, and so now you want to talk about an unreliable narrator. <laughs> this guy is as unreliable as it gets. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, right away, uh, you know, Guy Pierce, um, Leonard Shelby, and what he's going through and the, the journey that we take with him and whether or not we trust him and when we start not to trust him. If we don't, you know, if that happens, uh, Ashley, what was that journey like for you? Well, I think one of the benefits of having the film presented out of order is that it keeps us a little bit unbalanced on our toes. So we can really relate to what Leonard as a character is feeling. And at first, yeah, we totally sympathize him. Like here, this here's this man who's lost his ability to hang on to short-term memories. His wife has died um, in an attack, or so we think at the beginning. And we just really feel for him. And he's got this quest for vengeance. But as the film goes on, and our opinion of him starts to unravel a little bit, we're like, well, maybe he's not such a good guy. In this quest for vengeance, he has kind of allowed this to warp him. Like maybe before this all started, he was a good person, but this kind of quest has taken him down a path. And then we learn that he's even maybe purposely allowing himself to forget some facts just so he can kind of continue on with his version of reality in the world. And it's just, it's super fascinating. And like someone mentioned before, no matter, this is like my third or fourth time to watch it, but I always feel like I pick up new things from it. And even though he, whether he's a sympathetic character or not, he is super fascinating to watch through his journey throughout the film. Yeah, I think, and, and, you know, I'll chime in if you want. Um, but I think he's fairly sympathetic for most mm-hmm. of the the movie. It's not until the very, the end of the actual movie, not the end of the events, but the end of the movie where he consciously mm-hmm. makes the decision to not remember mm-hmm. certain things that we kind of think of him in a different yeah. way, I think. Um, um, and then it's because he's actually, He's actually, yeah, um, causing more harm to himself and others by doing that, as opposed to, you know, going on with his or being used by others. Well, exactly. And through Um, this this movie, he's completely being used by everybody, you know, and, you know, he and but he's doing it partially at his own undoing because he set himself up by, you know, I guess that he was going after the drug dealer to get the $200,000 and he ended up taking the clothes and then, you know, Carrie Ann Moss's, you know, thing with him was that, you know, Hey, you just killed my boyfriend. I'm going to use you to take care of our rivals type thing. And, you know, type thing. Yeah. There are a couple of moments uh, throughout the Mm -hmm. film that can easily lead the viewer to believe that, maybe Leonard's not as messed up in the head as we're led to believe. Um, not so much that he's doesn't have this issue, but rather that he, he, he doesn't um, or, or doesn't, he doesn't have it as bad as he assumes. Um, he remembers the name of the guy who's renting him the room and calls him by name. Uh, despite the fact that he shouldn't have been able to remember it, it later on. Oh, ben, yeah, and later right. on, um, he writes on the picture of Natalie uh, hours after meeting her. 
she'll help you because she pities you uh, or she'll help you out of pity or something like that. And um, both of those should have been completely forgotten uh, by that point. The, the, the narrative does take uh, it's very loose as to what mm-hmm. exactly his time frame is as far as when the short term memory is going to be lost. Sometimes it seems like it's minutes. Yes. Like when he's in the bar and he forgets the drink. That's you know, the like, scene that sticks like with me the most. It's passed. <clears throat> <laughs> and and there's other sequences where it seems like he goes all night uh, before he, you know, forgets. Oh. Um, so it does kind of play a little bit fast with that, mm-hmm. I think. Because it was interesting because you're completely right, Mike. The scene where like he was burning his wife's stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was sitting up and he knew exactly what he was doing. And then the next morning he was like, oh, how did I get to this point? And he put, goes through his pockets and stuff like that. And that's when that guy was coming after him because they, the other drug dealer or something. Yeah. And it's not just moments where like of rest for him. I mean, there's one time where he's he's in the middle of running for his life and he sort of forgets why he's running, uh, which is it's got one of the best lines I think in the whole movie where he's like, I'm, you know, Hey, I'm chasing that guy. Oh, maybe he's chasing me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or when he was waiting for that guy to come to the hotel room and he grabbed, had the bottle to, you know, as his weapon. (laughs) And then he, then he's like, I don't feel, he looks at it and says, I don't feel drunk. And starts taking a shower. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's crazy. Um, one thing that I was struck by in this viewing is that despite the fact that, uh, you know, he's got this condition and he recognizes this condition and there's a lot of things that he's uncertain about, he's very confident. He's very certain of himself. Um, I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, I think um, when Natalie tells him that, you know, you don't know fear, you don't, you can't be afraid because he has nothing, he, he can't grasp that. Um, there's nothing really, uh, because you're not going to remember, you know, what the stakes are. Um, and for, yeah, for a guy who just should be unsure about everything, he's very sure about, I mean, maybe to your point, Alex, where maybe there's more there than, you know, it is a mental condition, not a physical condition. Um, so there may be some areas that sort of bleed in and he does say, you know, he's going to be better. He's going to beat this by habit, by repetition, by, you know, by taking notes and not just sitting around like, you know, quote unquote, you know, Sammy did. Right. And that was the interesting part because he knew how to take care of himself physically, you know, in a fight and, you know, against somebody attacking him. He also knew how to shoot a gun. You know, so there has to be more of a, you know, he's just not a typical insurance salesman type thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get the idea that maybe he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, you know, Teddy says that he's been doing this for a while, but um, because through all the stuff that he writes down, he doesn't write down when this happened. Yeah. No. There's no record of when this happened. So he has no idea if it was last month, last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, um, it's a, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing thing. I, you know, playing with memories, 
you know, I, I love the the sort of scene where he talks about, you know, he challenges someone because someone, I think it's Teddy who says, you know, you don't remember anything, you know, um, uh, so how do you, how do you know? And he's like, memories can be deceptive. You know, if you look at, you know, police and their lineups and, you know, eyewitness accounts, they're always tainted almost, you know, because you, the memory's unreliable. At best, it's unreliable. So, so how is he any different, really? Um, which is, you know, as I, as I get older, <laughs> I, I can relate to that. Um, much, much worse than, yeah, much more than I would like. Um, uh, so we've got other characters in this. Um, uh, I guess we could start with Teddy as well. We can ca- uh, shift to Teddy because he seems to be, apart from Leonard, the probably the second most important character in this plot, right? Um, and I think right away he's introduced as someone not to trust, thanks to the note on the back. But then you find out at the end of the movie that he wrote that note, uh, which is just a bunch of BS. Um, what do you... What do you think of uh, Joey Pants in this role, um, Ashley? I think he's a super interesting character as a foil to Leonard. And like you said, we do think, oh, this guy is kind of shifty. We shouldn't trust him. And it kind of paints him as the antagonist. But then it's interesting to see his story start to interweave with Leonard's. And again, as the story shows over and over, there's more going on here that meets the eye. And just think it's interesting that Teddy has stuck with him this whole time and is basically helping him on this self-destructive quest and one of the most interesting parts of the movie is at the very end when Teddy is telling him like you don't it doesn't it's not going to help you feel better to get your revenge you're just going to have to keep doing this over and over again and I've helped you do it before so just what an interesting character to contrast Leonard with because when you start, Leonard seems like the hero, Teddy's the villain, but it's more complicated and nuanced than that. Do you, do you think, uh, here's the million dollar question. Do you think he um, he gets his comeuppance in the beginning of the movie? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't say that yeah. very often. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he's ultimately, you know, his ultimate fate is that, you know, right away we find out that he's killed. Um, you know, does is that is that a fate that he? I wouldn't say deserves? he deserved it, but it's kind of one of those like if you play with fire, you might get burned. And so I think he was interacting. He was a little bit overconfident, I think, in his ability to help uh, Leonard. Mm-hmm. Alex, what about you? What? what how does the saga of? Uh, of uh teddy strike it's very interesting when you when you look at the cast of this film because it's a lot of that guy and it's like oh that's that guy from you know what's <laughs> it um and and so you get this one and um like right from the bat like like it said you you get an uneasy feeling from him but that being said i get an uneasy feeling every time i see him um <laughs> perfect casting, you know right? in this case Exactly. Even when even when he played a good guy in The Fugitive, you still you know, got that feeling. Um, or as the reporter in Daredevil, or you know, anything like that. But yeah, no, his and that's the, that was one of the things actually when Chris Nolan was was first looking at him um, was he wasn't going to have him. 
Carrie Ann Moss had had indicated that he'd be perfect for this role. And it's because they had worked together on the matrix. Right. And he, and, and Nolan was like, yeah, but he's, he's kind of villainous. Like just in general, he's kind of villainous. And it turned out to be like one of the best assets of the movie. Um, yeah, I think it works. Yeah, it actually him. it works uh, as it an works, advantage yeah. because we get a pre uh uh, uh what's sort of looking for pre predestined um mm-hmm. sure. uh, 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 idea of what we're going to get out of Teddy, and then for a few scenes, the first little while, we get exactly that from Teddy. Um, yeah, it, I mean, the first time we see him, he's yeah. being killed. The next time we see him, he's like Lenny, acting yeah, like everything's you know, cool, kind of like a. But he's but but he's not acting like a friendly guy. He's acting like a guy you just don't trust. The fact that he's calling him Lenny and he's yeah yeah it's uh it, it, yeah he, he strikes me right away and and Joey can play that right in his sleep. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, if, uh, you, if you see it though, in that first scene where you first actually see him in the hotel. In the lobby, he's like trying to pull all these things. Here, take take my car. Let's take your car. And he goes to the wrong car and he says, I know which car is mine. You know, and it's like, this guy's a shyster. He's trying to pull something. So you have this feeling, what is this guy about? Has he been trying to, you know, use Leonard the whole time? And as the movie progresses, you learn more and more about him. And I think he's a dirty cop all the way oh yeah you know totally through that he's been using leonard to you know help get you know take out these drug people you know and you know basically use and take the money from them and keeping it himself he did it in this movie you know you know took it from the car and everything the two hundred thousand. yeah the and, uh the fun uh the fun thing about that scene where he's you know where he, they go out and he says, you know, he leads him to his car, right? And he's like, oh, this is your car. And he's like, no, no, this is my car. And he goes to the, I don't know what it is, uh, what kind of car it is, but uh, it's a nicer car. It's but a the, Porsche the, or something like that. Right. The irony is that that's not his car either. No. <laughs> None of them are is. his car. <laughs> I like the idea that the whole parking lot is just filled with cars that he's taken. <laughs> Yes. yes, and that he's every, rented every yeah. room of the hotel. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite scenes. Is when the when the guy behind the thing is like, "Look, I've just been renting you two rooms this entire time." So. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you this because you're yeah. not going to remember it. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to remember this anyway, so it's okay. But I mean, that's a cool scene too because that's when we get a peek into where the black and white yeah. scenes are because we get yep. to look into that room for a second. It's when we cross over from. You know the the what the color scenes and the black and white scenes. Um, looking at it this time, watching it this time, I find, and this is saying something because Leonard's pretty messed up, but Natalie might be one of the most complicated characters of the whole story. Um, what do you think of Natalie, uh, Ashley? Well, I am always a huge fan of complex female characters. And this is a really great role, I think, for an actress to be able to dig into. Because we kind of seen her story in reverse. Like we start out again, kind of sympathetic. And then she's almost kind of like impressed by how she 
is able to finagle the situation to her benefit. And her conversations with Leonard are super interesting. Like that scene where she just goes off and says like, I can say whatever I want because you don't have a pin and you're not going to remember it. And just how she... Min- After she takes yeah, all the pins. Yeah, and she just... <laughs> yeah, literally, she hides all the pins from and him. And she manipulates him and he doesn't even realize it. So again, like she's not a good person, but she is a super interesting character and that's something again that this film I feel like really rewards repeat viewings you can kind of now that you know how the character stories are going to end you can watch their behavior throughout the beginning of the movie which is later in the movie wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff but um so yeah I I thought that was a really great performance and a really great character not a good person but a, a great character I would say yeah, and almost every time she's on screen with Lenny, um, she uh, seems to be using yes. him, uh for something or other. She 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 always puts one over on him, um, and you would think that she would hate this guy, um, uh, but she ends up sleeping with him. Um, so that did that she right sleep there. with him or sleep with him? Well, that's the question because he was wearing his pants the whole time. He was they didn't look it doesn't look like they had sex or anything it just looks like they she got a room for the night possibly two rooms knowing the guy at the front desk and maybe she wants him (laughs) to think that because it's part of her layers of manipulation so it's i think she gets really good at kind of playing him and getting him to participate in her complicated plan she has a wonderful quote in the film in which she basically says I'm going to use you and I'm going to enjoy it because yes. I know you could stop me if you weren't, uh, I, I'm not going to say the rest of the phrase, but basically she says, mm-hmm. you know, because of your condition, I'm going to enjoy using you because I know you could stop me if you weren't in this condition. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if, if Leonard really didn't mind it so much then it speaks a lot more about him than it does about her. Um, but that line right there basically says evil, um, but, uh, a a very, a very (laughs) complex character, a very unique character. It's a daring character. I'm actually surprised she didn't get nominated for this one. Um, but then Nolan films don't get nominated or nominations. So, um, just one of those things, but yeah, I thought this was, uh, I I thought, I thought she was amazing and I've not been, a big Carrie Ann Moss fan. In fact, I had forgotten that that's who played her in, in the movie. I genuinely thought it was uh, the same woman from Death to Smoochie, which is another one that I, I focus on right around this time, um, whose name completely escapes me. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, sorry, I haven't oh my seen gosh, that. Movie. So good. So is that it is Robin it's Robin Williams, Williams and uh, and Ed Norton. But we'll get back to that another time. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, Catherine Keener, Catherine Keener. Um, but again, they're, they're both two, uh, uh, dark haired actresses who can play, uh, these, these torture slash torture us roles. And, uh, I, I thought, I thought she was really solid in it. I thought she was, cause she looks miserable in every scene. One of the, uh, you know, it checks off all the boxes of film noir, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, the, the, you don't trust the woman. The woman's going to use you for her own ends. 
um, and uh, the dirty cop. Uh, the guy, the main character doesn't know where he's coming or going. Um, it just like checks all these boxes off. Um, Mike, any more uh, thoughts about Natalie or Carrie? And no, Alice? you, you run hot and cold on her. Cause you don't know where she's coming from at points. You think at, at some points that she actually really does care and that she's trying to help Leonard especially like, you know, Oh, this jerk just showed up with my boyfriend's car and my boyfriend's suit, you know, wearing his the same outfit my boyfriend usually shows up in. And, you know, then, you know, she did the whole thing with the spitting in the cup and everyone's shooting a loogie into it. And she actually stops him from doing, go, drinking the whole thing. It's like, oh, maybe she's okay. No. But she ain't okay. No. Nope. No. <laughs> no. No, she she has her own agenda and she is playing it to her end. I wouldn't be surprised after probably after Leonard killed, you know, the cop at the beginning of the movie, he goes back to her because he doesn't remember what she did or whatever. And he's going to go back. It's going to be a constant loop. He's going to go looking for this license plate and everything and she could be basically putting that license plate of the car on whoever she wants to take out any any john g that's out there oh exactly so so yeah no she's she played it wonderfully and she is evil as hell (laughs) yeah and she was coming off i mean carrie moss was coming off of uh her you know immense popularity in the matrix so um for her to do this small role uh actually speaks volumes yeah i don't even think she's listed Um, on the uh on the poster so i mean i don't don't think she got very high billing if i'm which is weird because she would probably be the the reason people would would go in to see it yeah yeah i mean guy pierce was was becoming big he had just done la confidential and i think that's where i kind of first saw him and was like "Ooh, who's this guy and in this movie he just crushes it she was on the okay. poster. Ah, gotcha. Because it was the pol- it was the Polaroid picture inside right, the Polaroid right. picture inside the Polaroid, and and her photos the second oh, okay. one in. Gotcha. I was and referring so, to the name listings, it, but um, yeah, no, you're right. No, it says Guy Pierce, Car- okay. Carry On Moss, and Joey Pants. There you go. It also dawned on me, okay, this movie was done, and it's 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 pretty much current to that time, twenty years ago. Um, could you make this now in the in the day and age of of cell phones? Mm. Was the, is this plot something that I mean? Certainly, uh, his um, his condition, his uh, is it anti-regrade something yeah. like that, right? Um, amnesia. Yes. Um, uh, that uh, that condition might be able to be assisted with you know, cell phones um, to an extent. You would have to have a scene in which is, in which, you know, like right at the beginning or end of the film, whichever one you want to look at it. Um, you'd have to have him break his phone. The the yeah. phone, the phone would have to be cracked. Um, and, and, uh, or, or the, the SIM card pulled out or something like that. Or even better SIM card yeah. error at the, the very first scene. Yeah. Or something so, like I mean, that. he could have, he you could know, read you, his notes. Get that. But he wouldn't be able to to, to call somebody or to use the internet. Coming from 
coming from somebody who has short-term memory loss in personally that it is not pretty when the person loses it and has trouble it coming back so it it's very possible very plausible that you could still do something with that because you would have to have he'd be having to do like some block you know like some kind of self like selfie video all the time and have to go back to to go back and review it at all and so it would be a different story than this his instagram story polaroids (laughs) oh god yeah because even the scene like the one polaroid that they had of his his very first polaroid that he had that he had that he ended up burning of him you know pointing to his Mm -hmm. chest you know and everything i did it you know type thing it's like he didn't want to hear the truth. He didn't want to know that it, this was over type thing. Yeah, because he's ultimately he's afraid of the next step. What do you do after I that? Wanted, I want to see that and... Instagram live feed. OMG, did he kill Teddy? <laughs> um, <laughs> you bastard. Uh, sorry. I thought uh, it too. I just didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, I yeah, it, it would be a lot of movies, you know, that certainly were done years ago. Uh, you you yeah, you had a cell phone in the mix, and I think it's been a challenge for writers. I know, uh, you know, they because how many times do you watch something now and it's like, oh, their cell phone just breaks at the at a certain time where it would be useful to have one, right? Because that's the only way that the writers can figure out a way around it, because. Man, cell phones have really ruined plots. <laughs> and, and it's a case where the, the 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 companies that are sponsoring the phones don't want their phones to be used if the phone's going to be broken. Right, right, right. I can't get a signal. Nope, no, no, you, we don't, you don't want do that. that you we're, to, you're, we're, <laughs> you're not using well, a, you're not using our phone. <laughs> exactly, and you know, basically, he would have to be using an Android because only good guys use iPhones. Yeah, a lot of times movies. you get that, and that would be a clear tip off. Um, that, so uh so after watching this movie like i said it blew me away uh i went and once the dvd uh, was available i got that and by the way uh, um i don't know what the blu-ray of this mm-hmm. is like but dvd special two disc dvd set that came out which is um it looks like a file and it has paperwork with it and all this kind of cool stuff i mean it it really is like a work of art like um and the packaging and everything is great. Um, I'll probably never get rid of this DVD, even though, sure, I'd love to have it on Blu-ray, but I don't think the Blu-ray would be near as much fun if it hasn't been. I don't think it's been marketed the same way um, and packaged anyway the same way. Um, but, um, you know, Christopher Nolan showed me that he is definitely interested in in in, in taking risks, storytelling-wise and filmmaking-wise. Uh, and I think that has been pretty much the case throughout his career ever since then. Um, do you, do, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that this sort of set him up? I mean, I think he enjoys it. So I don't think he's, he's, I don't think he's burdened by the challenge, but do you think that now going into a Nolan movie, you kind of expect some sort of trickery, some sort of gimmick. So you kind of, you know, you're going in, you like, if you went in, Alex said he went in this movie cold, right? Now you go into a Nolan movie and you're expecting a trick. You're expecting a gimmick. You're expecting something to kind of work through. Um, does that 
does that hurt your experience, you think? Not necessarily. I would say I, I feel like he does a good job trying to find different ways to mess with the audience. I would love if someday if he made a completely straightforward movie with no twists, no turns, no nothing. And I would spend the whole movie just like racking my brain like, okay, what am I missing? What's going to be the trick? And then the credits roll and you realize <laughs> that was just a normal movie with a very straightforward storyline. The trick yes. is there yes. is no yes. trick. The, pro- <laughs> the problem with doing that is the same problem that uh, M. Night Shyamalan had when he did uh, Lady in Water. Um, and the fact that there is no twist, but everybody knows to go into a movie to look for the the the, the, the Shyamalan twist. Um, I Here's how I look at Ed Nolan films. Uh, Nolan has a very, very high amount of respect for the viewer. And because of that, he doesn't talk down to them. Um, His movies are built for people who are watching, who want to be both entertained and stimulated beyond explosions. Um, The toughest film of his that I ever saw to sit through was Insomnia. Uh, his movie with uh, Al Pacino and uh, oh. uh, and Robin Williams, and uh, that's a, mm-hmm. a film that takes place entirely in Alaska during a time when uh, the sun does is not going down. And right. for me, they call it summertime. For me, the hardest part about the film uh, and watching it was there's so much snow on the screen that if it's just the slightest bit out of focus, like it was in our theater, you just get this blinding light. And it just, it it, it makes it very difficult to actually see and, and focus on the film. Um, And because of that, I've, I've not gone back to see the film since I first saw it. Um, And I went to see it because it's from Chris Nolan, the guy who made uh, Memento. So, but I mean, you take a look at his other films, uh, you know, the, the Dark Knight trilogy, which started uh, really good, hit a very nice apex. And then the third movie came out. Um, Interstellar, uh, which is another one that was just like, wow, uh, so much going on. Memento and Inception have a lot of the same traits to it as far as the end of the movie goes, because you kind of sit there and go, oh, I have a lot of questions regarding the characters in this. Um, so I think, I, I think that he's got stuff in his arsenal, uh, that he can literally just pull out anytime he wants to. Um, when we were talking about Tenet earlier, this, uh, you know, talking about for, uh, the films and everything like that, I indicated that it was, it was memento meets inception mm-hmm. and, uh, mm. and, you know, kind of, kind of right. <laughs> and I don't think it's a knock on him, but I did notice that after he got involved with the mm-hmm. Batman movies, particularly after dark Knight, um, suddenly it's not enough for him to just have a tricky narrative uh, to work with a complicated narrative, which is his, is, you know, that's his thing. Um, but now he has to do something grand on the big screen. He fell in love right. with the IMAX camera. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's much. the opportunity for him to take the best technology and put it with the best storytelling and and that's great and all, um, but I don't and I don't know that it hurts his films. But I personally would love to see him 
uh, go back and do something small like this one. Because I bet he can blow I, it away. I, I agree. I, I agree. Oh, sure. I, I bet that's what, I, that's what he uses his brother for, though, to you know do the more small screen stuff. I don't know. You know. His brother's doing small screen stuff for sure, but his stuff is just as complica- complex. You know, Westworld is... Oof, or like a person out. of interest also. You know yep. what he did. Oh, yeah. Although Nolans as a whole are amazing people, and I'm glad that we have them all in in our entertainment industry right now because they are, you know, the best of the best uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. Any last words on... I'm sorry, what movie we're talking about? Who are you people? I don't remember. Right. So, uh, so I guess it's time to end the show. We'll do that after this message. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the newest episode, The Mandalorian, The Jedi. Spoiler warning. So if you haven't watched the newest episode of The Mandalorian and do not want it spoiled, I suggest skipping ahead. Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 5, The Jedi, aired, and people were so excited for this episode. We finally got Ahsoka Tano, the character we've seen grow up from the Clone Wars and Rebels cartoon series, and we finally got to see her portrayed in live action. Rosario Dawson did an amazing job bringing Ahsoka to life. She had her mannerisms down, her fighting style was awesome, and she looked really cool as the character, in my opinion. I was so excited to see her on screen live in this episode. We got to learn a lot more about the child, Grogu, and we got to see his and Mando's bond and how strong it's become over the last two seasons. This episode was like a giant space western, and it was awesome. So much great atmosphere in the way the episode was filmed, the fight scenes were amazing, and the characters really gave you that old western feel. We also got that great reveal at the end that Thrawn is alive. After we saw the events in Rebels where Ezra had the Purgles attack the ship they were on. So I'm excited to see who else we might see later on along, you know, with Thrawn. Especially since it seems we may get another Jedi in the mix if Grogu decides to reach out into the Force at the temple that they are now headed to. I also thought it was really cool that this episode had a super Western feel and one of the stunt doubles for the Mando is John Wayne's grandson. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our crew for being here tonight. Ashley, thank you so much as always. Oh, thank you. I was super excited. This is uh, a, f- a favorite film of mine, so I really enjoyed talking about it with you all. Oh, never a problem. Anything you want to shout out about? Just uh, you can find my blogs over ESO podcast website. I'll probably be writing something up about The Mandalorian as we get here towards the season close. And 
hopefully new movies to come in 2021 but at this point who knows so <laughs> i'll find something tell, tell me about it it's fun trying to put a schedule together for 2021 <laughs> we just have yeah. no clue <laughs> it's like okay fortunately there's a lot of classic movies that we can dip into like this oh one, exactly so. yes. there's tons to talk about so i think we'll we'll be safe for right now and of course alex autry thank you my friend always a pleasure to be here um this is one of the best crews to talk movies with and uh, I always enjoy it. Anything you're going to talk about and uh, shout out about tonight? Just want to say, uh, raise a glass for Joe Hunt. Yep. Very much so. Yeah. And for those who don't know who Joe Hunt was. You're missing out. Yes. Huge, uh, amazing talent. Amazing, amazing talent. So. Nice guy. Yep. And uh, yeah, Dragon Con's never going to be the same. Probably won't. It definitely will not. And Mr. Mike, thank you so much as always, sir. As always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Well, speaking of losses and Dragon Con, um, we also lost David Prowse uh, this past weekend. Um, he's one of the first celebrities I ever met on the convention scene. Um, and as people who listen to the show might know, that meeting was, we'll just say memorable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was much happy. I was uh, very pleased that, you know, he was going through a tough period around that time and in a lot of pain. Um, and I know that uh, the uh, surgeons and the doctors in, at Emory in particular here in Atlanta um, helped him through that arthritic pain. And uh, I'm glad that he wasn't suffering uh, as much through that in later years. Um, but uh I've recently been watching a lot of stuff like, I mean, we just saw an, uh, a Doctor Who story that he appears in uh, in October. I finally saw the Vampire Circus that he appears in. And just seeing him appear, um, you know, is, is thrilling to me. Uh, I know there's other things that, I've, that he was in that uh, I have yet to see. But, um, you know, he's always going to be the first guy who played one of the most iconic characters in pop culture. I mean... He always wrote on in every every autograph that he gave. He always wrote, "David Prowse is Darth Vader," and he always will be. Mm -hmm. Very much so, very very much so. And he will be missed. And I met him once at Dragon Con. Nice as can be, a lot higher voice than I expected to. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he doesn't sound like James. I know, I was, I, but that's what I went in fully <laughs> expecting. I was expecting pleased to meet you michael you know or something like that but no it was just like hi how are you doing you know it was just like and then, well of course in a british accent but it was just he was he was awesome he was a really really super nice guy and i had william with me and william was like at the time maybe like six so he was like looking straight up it's like whoa he was a he was a large man no he was a truly truly large man so yeah, it's really, really sad. And we actually lost a very popular writer earlier today. And it's really sad to hear about, you know, this kind of loss because this is just, it's tough when you lose, you know, basically Ben Bova, who is a true classic and, you know, amazing writer, also a Dragon Con attendee. And, he, you know, he's been, you know, hmm, coincidence. No, oh, kidding. no. Hey, do not start this Mr. <laughs> conspiracy theories. But now it's just, 
you know, it's just, it was just tough because he was 88 years old and he was a true legend. He was one of my first, you know, sci-fi writers that I started following and, you know, on social media. And, you know, when I first got into it back in the early, you know, two thousands and, you know, Ben was one of them and I was excited to meet him when I met him at Dragon Con and it was, you know, it's a true passing and, you know, it's, really really sad if you get a chance to look up his books if you haven't read any of those definitely worth checking out all the way speaking of books we are doing a book club next week that's right folks we are next week going to look at the 50th anniversary of Ringworld. that is true that's larry nevin and it is going to be an adventure this is my first time reading the book so it should be tons of fun. Kirby's going to be back joining us. So it should be, you know, fun to talk about. It should be great. We'd love to hear from you guys. Hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving here in the States or Black Friday and Cyber Monday everywhere else in the world. So, you know, the bargains were meant to be had by many. So it's very cool. And definitely always glad to be here with everybody and all my friends, my ESO family. And, you know, it's all the stuff I was thankful for. So it's, you know, it's a good thing. And I'm just happy to be able to be here with you guys at all. So thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at, at www.nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. And yes, we are proud to beg for listeners, you know, leave us five stars wherever you listen. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ashley Pauls, and Alex Autry, thanks again for listening. We'll see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, peace, and we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.